0: So last week, all right, good morning. This is Granny D. Dorcas Smith out of Plymouth, Michigan. I'm a little rattled today because I'm going for a COVID test. So everything's gone off backwards and sideways, but we'll be fine. All right, welcome to the weight management, the TR90 Body Burn 30 weight management call. And I am off on or back on to Brain Rules today by John Medina. So remember... This is the brain. We have 2% of our body is our brain, but we spend 20% of our body in energy on our brain. And one of the ways that you can keep your brain healthy, very healthy, is to exercise. Just walk 10 to 30 minutes a day. If you can do it seven days a week, I'll tell you it will make a difference it's all about getting oxygen to the brain and getting those muscles strong so last week when i was talking to you we had gone on a little journey from just like in the movie the fantastic voyage written by harry kleiner and the science fiction then popular popularized later by isaac asimov so we are in this little submarine and we have plunged into the brain instantly, insufferably, it's overcrowded, even hostile in here. Everywhere we, we have to navigate through a dangerous scaffolding of spiky coral protein formations, the neuroskeleton. Though these dense formations give the neuron its three-dimensional shape. Many of the skeletal parts are in constant motion, which means we have to do a lot of dodging. Millions of molecules still slam against our ship. However, every few seconds, and every few seconds, we are jolted by an electric discharge. We won't want to stay long. So, we're going to be swimming laps. We escape from one end of the neuron, initially of perilously winding Through sharp thickets of proteins, we now find ourselves free-floating in a calm, seemingly bottomless, watery canyon. In the distance, we can see another neuron looming ahead. We are in the space between the two neurons called the synaptic cleck. And the first thing we notice is that we are not alone. We appear to be swimming with large schools of tiny molecules. They are streaming out of the neuron we just visited and thrashing helter-skelter towards the one we are facing. In a few minutes, in a few seconds, sorry, in a few seconds, they will reverse themselves swimming back to the neuron we just left, which then instantly gobbles them up. These schools of molecules are called neurotransmitters, and they come in a variety of molecular species. They function like Tiny couriers and the neurons use these molecules to communicate information across the canyon, or more properly, across the synaptic cleft. The the cell that lets them escape is called the presynaptic neuron, and the cell that receives them is called the postsynaptic. Neuron. Neurons release these chemicals into the synapse, usually in response to being electrically stimulated. The neuron that receives them can react negatively or positively when it encounters these chemicals. Working, like a, like a, working something like a cellular tent, temper tantrum, the neuron can turn itself off to the rest of the neuroelectric world a process called inhibition, or the neuron can become electrically stimulated. That allows a a signal to be transferred from the presynaptic neuron to the postsynaptic neuron. I got stimulated, and I'm passing the good news on to you. And then the neurotransmitters return to the cell of origin, the process appropriately called re-uptake. When that cell gobbles them up, the system is reset and ready for another signal. As we look 360 degrees around our synaptic environment, we notice that the neural forest, large and seemingly distant, is surprisingly complicated. Take the two neurons between which we are floating. We are between just two connection points. If you can imagine two trees being uprooted by giant hands, turned 90 degrees so the roots face each other, and then jammed together, you can re- you can visualize the real world of. Then you can re- visualize the real world of two neurons interacting with each other in the brain, and that's just the simplest case. Usually. Thousands of neurons are jammed up against each other, all occupying a single parcel of neural real real estate. The branches form connections to one another in a nearly incomprehensible mass of branching confusion. Ten thousand points of connection is typical, and each connection is separated by a synapse, those watery canyons in which we are now floating. Gazing at this underwater hippocampal forest, we notice several disturbing developments. Wow, like snakes swaying to the rhythm of some chemical flute, some of these branches appear to be moving. Occasionally, the end of one neuron swells up, gracefully increasing in diameter. The terminal ends of the other neurons split down the middle like a forked tongue, creating two connections where before there was only one. Electricity crackles through these moving neurons at a blinding 250 miles an hour, some quite near us, with clouds of neurotransmitters filling in the spaces between the trunks as the electric current passes by. What we should do now is take off our shoes and bow low in the submarine, for we are on holy neural ground. What we were just observing was the process of the human brain learning. It's an extreme makeover. Eric Kandel is the scientist most responsible for figuring out the cellular basis for this process of learning. For he shared, or just this whole process, for it, for it, he shared the Nobel Prize in 2000. And his most important discoveries would have made inventor Alfred Nobel Proud. Kandel showed that when people learn something, the wiring in their brain changes. He demonstrated that even acquiring simple pieces of information involves the physical alteration of the structure of the neurons participating in the process. Taken broadly, these physical changes result in the the functional organization and reorganization of the brain. This is astonishing. The brain is constantly learning things, so the brain is constantly rewiring itself. Candell first discovered this fact, not by looking at humans, but by looking at sea slugs. He soon found, somewhat insultingly, that human nerves learn things the same way slugs nerves. the slug nerves learn things, and so do lots of animals in between slugs and humans. The Nobel Prize was award and awarded in part because of his careful work because his careful work described the thought processes of virtually every creature with the means to think. We saw these physical changes while our submarine was puttering around the synaptic space between two neurons. As neurons learn, they swell, they sway, and then they split. They break connections in one spot, glide over to a nearby region, and form connection with their new neighbors. Many stay put, simply strengthening their electrical connections, which get fatter with each other. Increasing the efficiency of information transfer. You could get a headache just thinking about the fact that deep inside your brain at this very moment, bits of neurons are moving around like reptiles, slithering into new spots. I love the word slithering. Getting fat at one end or creating split ends. So all so that you can remember a few things about Eric. Candel and his sea slugs and the Nobel Prize but before Candel in the 18th century the Italian scientist Vincenzo Malacarne did a surprising modern series of biological experiments he trained a group of birds to do complex tricks this part makes me sad then he killed them all and dissected their brains ah science He found that his trained birds had more extensive folding patterns in specific regions of their brains than his untrained birds. Fifty years later, Darwin noted the similar differences between the brains of wild animals and their domestic counterparts. The brains in wild animals were 15 to 30 percent larger than those of their tame domestic counterparts. It appears that the cold, hard world forced the wild animals into a constant learning mode. Those experiences wired their heads much differently. It is the same with humans. This can be observed in places ranging from New Orleans Zedico Beer Halls to the staid places of the New York Philharmonic. Both are the natural habitat of violin players. And we must note here that violin players have really strange brains when compared with non-violin players. Listen to this. The neural regions that control their left hands where the complex, fine motor movement is required on the strings looks as if they have been gorged on a high-fat diet. These regions are enlarged, swollen, and crisscrossed with complex associations. By contrast, the areas controlling the right hand, which just draws the bow, looks positively anorexic with much less complexity. So to conclude for the day the brain acts like a muscle the more activity you do the larger and more complex it can become whether that leads to more intelligence is another issue but the fact is indisputable that you can that you in life okay let me try that again but one fact is indisputable what you do in life physically changes what your brain looks like. You can wire and rewire yourself with the simple choice of which in- musical instrument or which sport you play. And there you have it. Granny D, Dorcas Smith out of Plymouth, Michigan. I am delighted to have taught, shared with you some of my knowledge on the slithery cells in the brain. I hope you enjoyed it. Oops, let's see. Very informative. <laughs> yes. So, the more you learn, the older you learn. In fact, this week when you were last week when you were doing your classes, you are growing your brain. You are definitely well, rewiring it. Definitely, because there's all kinds of new things that are coming out in education that they were sharing with us at that conference. So, and some of it I'm yes. been reading about, and learning about. In addition to that, so yeah, all summer I've been growing my brain. <laughs> yes. So as you learn new things, you rewire your brain, and then as you are doing activities. Like exercising or walking every day, you are also changing your brain because exercise gets your brain more oxygen. And when you have more oxygen, you can think more. And when you can think more, you rewire your brain because you are always learning stuff. You can't go into life without learning new stuff almost every day. Fascinating. Well, everybody, I'm, I hope you enjoyed it. God bless. Have a great day. And CJ is on tomorrow. So have a good one. And I'll tell you all about my um, COVID test later on in the week. <laughs> Take care and love to all. Oh, I should finish off. Silly me. We also have One Team Global, one Team Global on Facebook Live at 10 o'clock and I'd like to thank Frank Lomas and Brian Curry for all their hard work and if you want to listen to the uh, replay of any of our calls just go to SoundCloud and look for Frank Lomas and TR90 and you will find it but particularly I want to say thank you to Brian Curry because he makes our calls work every every day Five days a week, and it's we couldn't do it without him. All righty. And the other person I want to thank is Susan Mann, because she's always there when I need her. So I thank you both for all your hard work, and you're very, very appreciated. God bless everybody. Have a great day. Talk with you tomorrow.